Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 32. We'll read through chapter 12, verse 13. The Old Testament records the lives of the various people who experienced these great victories that we'll read about here. Joshua and uh, Deborah overthrew kingdoms. You can check the book of Joshua on that, the book of Judges also. Uh, Nehemiah ruled with justice. That's in the book of Nehemiah. Daniel was saved from the mouths of lions back in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were kept from harm in the flames of a blazing furnace. Elijah escaped the edge of the swords of evil Queen Jezebel's henchmen. Hezekiah regained strength after sickness. Gideon was strong in battle with a few. A widow's son was brought back to life by the prophet Elisha. Well, we too can experience victory through faith in Christ. Our victories over oppressors may be like uh, those of the Old Testament saints, but more likely our victories will be directly related to the role God wants us to play, the unique role He has for us. Even though our body deteriorates and dies, we will live forever because of Christ. In the promised resurrection, even death will be defeated, and Christ's victory will be made complete. Many think that pain is the exception in the Christian life. When suffering occurs, they say, Why me? Why is this happening? They feel as though God deserted them, or perhaps they accuse Him of not being as dependable as they thought. In reality, however, we live in an evil world filled with suffering, even for believers. But God is still in control. He allows some Christians to become martyrs for the faith, and He allows others to survive persecution. Rather than asking, why me? It's much more helpful to ask, you know, why not me? Our faith and the values of this world are on a collision course. If we expect pain and suffering to come, we will not be shocked when they hit. But we can also take comfort in knowing that Jesus also suffered. He understands our fears, our weaknesses, and our disappointments. And furthermore, He promises never to leave us. And He intercedes on our behalf. In times of pain, persecution, or suffering, we should trust confidently in Christ. All right, with that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. November 14, the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, through chapter 12, verse 13. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. 
Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility He endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really His children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 10. Many blessings are available to us, honor, prosperity, security, freedom from fear. If we fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands, if you expect God's blessings, you must revere Him and gladly obey Him. Generosity can cure two problems that having money can create. The rich person may abuse others in the desire to accumulate wealth. Generosity will eliminate that abuse. Also, the fear of losing money can be a snare. Generosity shows that we have placed our trust in God, not in our money. We have placed our faith in God for justice and security. We all want to live without fear. Our heroes are fearless people who take on all dangers and overcome them. Well, the writer here teaches us that fear of God can lead to a fearless life. That's good news. No fear. To fear God means to respect and revere Him as the Almighty Lord. When we trust God completely to take care of us, we'll find that our other fears, even of death itself, 
will subside. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away, their hopes thwarted. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivesChanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. The following audio is from The Refuge Church. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.org. Good morning. I hope you're well. Uh, this is week six in our, uh, in our current series. So what does it mean to live life with God, um, under God's rule? Is God something we make up? Is God something to assist us along in our own little uh, you know, um, journey towards enlightenment or towards autonomy? And uh, the answer obviously is no. Um, we're created by God and we're created for God. And so as Christians, we know that we're all sinners, we're all strugglers, no one's good. I mean, Psalm 14.3 goes as far to say they've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. And Paul quotes that, I think, in Romans 3. And so if we do have a choice, what we know is existentially and from our experiences, that we don't choose God. We don't choose Him. You know, we rebel against God. And, and our God shows us mercy through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful verse. So Jesus was sinless. Jesus took from us our sin debt by putting our faith in Christ, by believing he's the Son of God. We're welcomed, right? We're invited into God's family, not because we earned it, but because Jesus accomplished all that God required for us. This, if understood correctly, produces a new kind of person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
And so this morning, we're going to continue to, to look at what it means to live this new life as new creatures, as Second Corinthians said. Life with God, under God's rule, made available to us by Jesus and in his sinless life and what he accomplished on the cross. Available to anyone and everyone who would put their faith in him. It's all grace. It's all grace. So let's read our text this morning. Romans 14, uh, looking at verses 1 through 12. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If it's before his own master that he or sorry, it's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, it stains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, a lot in this text. And to be honest, I haven't heard many pastors teach this text. Because to be honest, I think it makes a lot of folks nervous um, thanks to Matt Leatherwood back there, he gave me a book by Martin Luther, um, a, like kind of around this, and I read it, and it was awesome. So thanks, Matt. It's a good book. But chapter, <laughs> chapter 14 in Romans covers an issue that what most theologians, most uh, Christian thinkers, what they call Christian liberty. Christian liberty. So theologian R.C. Sproul, he says this. He says, here Paul deals with matters that are very important for the peace and health of the church of Christ. He's dealing with how Christians are to behave with respect to issues that have no specific ethical import. They are morally neutral matters. So what does this mean? In plain language, what does this mean? We're talking about issues where one person's like, hey, bro, that's wrong. And the other person's like, no, I don't think it's wrong. Right? So that's what's going on here. Uh, and we're talking about issues where the Bible would give us liberty or, or the state of being free. And so there's issues where the Bible gives us the freedom to make choices based on our convictions within the framework of being held accountable in the local church. So are we tracking together a little bit? So we're going to break this text into three sections. First, we see an exhortation to, what, to, to who Paul calls uh, the strong person. And then we see Paul give an exhortation to who he refers to as the weaker person. And then at the end of the day... What we have to realize is he kind of sums it up with this idea that, hey, you're not your own, man. You're not your own. 
your gods. You'll, you'll present yourself before God and you'll be judged accordingly. So what we have to remember here is that ultimately the questions that you and I should be asking, the questions that, that you know, it should revolve around for us is, is, do I love Jesus? Are my affections, are my desires for Jesus ever increasing? Am I in relationship with God? Because what we have to realize before we move on is that we can't have healthy conversations about Christian living. We can't have healthy conversations about Christian morality or about ethics apart from having a healthy understanding of who we are in light of who God is. We must have a relationship with God first, right? So, so, he, he, is who are, he is the person that we answer to. He is the one who's in charge of our lives. And, and, and we have to realize that when it comes down to it, we are not our own. We're Jesus. We're Jesus' kids. We're Jesus' creatures. We're his creation. So this chapter falls within the framework of being a living sacrifice. My whole life is God's. I don't earn my salvation, remember? Remember? So, so I have to step back often. I have to step back and I have to ask myself, how are my actions benefiting the kingdom of God? How are my actions promoting God's, um, who God is and God's agenda? How's my life being lived for God's glory? All right? So first, Paul exhorts this strong person, if you will. Uh, verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm thinking about like, this is a bad verse for vegetarians. Terrible. My mom just, I never even thought about that till now, but (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. Um, I, I think at first, again, we have to give this text some context. And so many, what, what he's talking about is many of the Jewish Christians um, in particular, they were nervous about eating meat because, because some of the meat was being used in pagan worship. Okay? And they thought if they were to eat this meat that was used in pagan worship, that as a result, they would be unclean before the God of the Bible. They took this really serious. I mean, it was a big, big deal. And so there were folks that thought, man, if I eat that meat and it was, and it was given to, to these gods in pagan worship, then now I'm unclean. And so obviously this particular example isn't super relevant to you and I. Because I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many animal sacrifices to the sun god or to the fertility god or so on and so forth lately. Um, but there is a lot to apply here. The first thing Paul says is, as for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. So, the stronger person. And what do we mean by stronger person? When Paul uses this language, stronger person, he's referring to the one who is more mature in their faith. And so, this isn't necessarily someone who's been a Christian longer or someone who's gone to church for a really long time. It's someone who has a deep faith in Christ. It's someone who their identity, their person, who they are is found in who Jesus is. Okay? And Paul tells the strong person to welcome the weaker brother or sister and don't quarrel over opinions. Let's break that down a little bit further. In the Greek, the word welcome here means to take hold of, to bring along, to lead aside. And then the word quarrel here in the Greek has within it to mean to use discernment, to be wise, to have the ability to decide and not to dispute over peripheral matters. 
Okay? So, if you're a stronger brother or sister this morning and you see a weaker brother or sister doing things that you wouldn't do or saying things that you wouldn't say or maybe, you know, your weak brother or sister, they're super excited, they're really overly emotional and, are, and they're prone to gauge everything in their life based on how they feel or their emotional state and, how, and, and, and what's going on in the present. Listen, stronger brother or sister, you don't need to correct everything they do or say. Chill out. Chill out. Welcome your, your weaker brother or sister in Christ. Have patience with them. Have joy for them. Don't constantly try to fix them. Rather, point them to the fixer. And so, a question for, for a stronger brother or sister would be, what if every time in your life um, where you were wrong or you were immature or you were ridiculous, someone more mature than you was like, hey, Here's where you're wrong. Here's where you need to work on things. Here's where you need to fix stuff. Chill out. You know, um, calm down. After time, you'll calm down a little bit. You'll work through this stuff. Just do this and do that. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Chill out. Take a chill pill. Relax. Embrace the messiness. And so, and so Paul right out of the gate kind of says, for the stronger person, just, just relax a little bit. Embrace the messiness. Martin Luther says, I will therefore give myself as a Christ to my neighbor. Just as Christ offered himself to me, I will do nothing in this life except what I see as necessary, profitable and salutary to my neighbor. Since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. He goes on, I love this. Just let this sink in. For a man does not serve that he may put men under obligations. He does not distinguish between friends and enemies or anticipate their thankfulness or unthankfulness but he most freely and most willingly spends himself and all that he has, whether he wastes all on the thankless or whether he gains a reward. Beautiful. So verse two, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So what's going on here is, is this is really where Christian living gets messy. Because in an attempt to be holy, which is a noble pursuit, you know, Nothing wrong with pursuing holiness. We should as Christians. But in that pursuit, we can actually begin to be very unholy in how we treat other people. And so this text is explicitly calling us to not judge others where the Bible does not judge others. I'm going to say that again. So this text is really explicitly telling us, it's calling us to not judge others where the Bible does not judge others. And so weaker brother or sister, you want to refrain from dancing or you want to refrain from watching that certain movie or you want to refrain from partaking in that glass of wine because of your conscience, refrain for the glory of God. And listen, I encourage you, praise God, praise God. Strong brother or sister, you want to dance or you want to watch that movie or you want to drink that glass of wine because your conscience allows you to do so and you're not going to be led in sin as a result. Dance, watch that movie, drink that glass of wine for the glory of God. I encourage you, praise God. Paul is saying, weak brother or sister, in this text, in this particular text, in verse 2, weak brother or sister, your refraining from eating the unclean meat does not make you more holy than the one who decides to eat. You tracking with me? Now, we've got to break this down, all right? We've we got a lot of work to do because this, the reason that we, uh, not, not many folks touch this text is because you can abuse it either way. And so, brother or sister, if your conscience does not allow you, do not participate in certain activities in which the Bible gives you liberty to choose. 
But know, again, that you refraining from those activities doesn't make you more holy than the person who partakes. Are you tracking with me? Just because you refrain from certain things doesn't make you a better person. Luther says, and this is huge, if you don't don't walk away with anything, get the heart of this. Luther says, if, however, you wish to pray, fast, or establish a foundation in the church, I advise you to be careful not to do it in order to obtain some benefit, whether temporal or eternal, for you would do injury to your faith, which alone offers you all things. We don't do things to put God in our debt. We don't do things for God to get things from God. We do things to God out of our love and out of our desire to worship him. Let's move on. Verse three, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. So, hey, person who does not, who, who does not, you know, chooses not to partake due to their conscience, praise God for you. Praise God for you. Stronger brothers and sisters, do not pass judgment on that person. And then conversely, hey, person who chooses to partake, due to your conscience, praise God for you. And so weaker brothers and sisters, do not judge that person. So this is difficult. This is difficult though. Because, and and what I want us to realize is it's difficult because each of us has different sin bents. What do I mean by that? Each of us is led astray in different areas. And it's in those areas where you must be on guard. It's in those areas where you might need to set up some barriers so that you don't get close lest you fall in sin. Amen? So for example, I'll give you a couple examples. I know guys that don't have Instagram, that don't watch YouTube, that don't have Facebook. Not because those things are sinful but because they don't want to deal with the temptation to come across an image that might encourage them to lust. That's not legalism. That's just taking your sanctification seriously. I encourage that. I think that's awesome. You know, that person isn't going to be able to watch the same movies or shows. You get what I'm saying? but they're taking their sanctification seriously. Some of you enjoy a good craft beer. There's some people in this room that brew beer. I'm not going to point you out lest one of your weaker brothers, you know, shows up at your house in the middle of the night, you hear some noise in the basement, and there's this impromptu frat party, right? <laughs> what, what is that noise? <laughs> some of you enjoy a good glass of wine, right? But there are those of you that can't do that. You can't do that. You don't stop at a glass. You start to drink a beer and you wake up in the back of an El Camino in some other state. You're like, wow, did I get here? What happened? (laughs) So for some of you, your conscience or maybe just good old wisdom doesn't allow you to drink alcohol in any form because you know that it doesn't end well for you. Okay? Listen, I encourage that. I think that's wonderful. And listen, listen, brother or sister. Again, that's not legalism. That's just being smart. Oh, well, isn't it legalism if it's not a sin to drink a beer and I don't drink? No, that's, that's just, 
You know, if your story is I was cooking meth in my mom's basement and, you know, I was sipping on grandpa's old cough medicine, medicine way too much, that's your bent, bro. That's, that's your struggle, okay? And so there's probably more than that, but any substance that you would easily abuse or become addicted to, it's probably just good old wisdom to stay away from that. But listen, that's not true for everybody, right? And so as a church, we shouldn't be scared to live in that tension. We shouldn't be scared to live in that tension. But what if people abuse it? They will. But setting up a bunch of rules that God doesn't set up isn't the answer. Isn't the answer. Luther says, and again, this, this, is, where, this is where we fail in this, is Luther says there are very many who, when they hear of this freedom of faith, immediately turn it into an occasion for the flesh and think that now all things are allowed to them. And obviously we must be careful lest we use our freedom for selfish and licentious uses. Okay? We're going to stay on this for a little bit longer. Verse 3 again says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So let's move on to two. So we see this exhortation that Paul gives to, to the weak brother, um, the weaker brother. Again, that language might seem like they're better or worse. That's not the case, so don't, don't walk away with that. But verse 4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now, when I read this, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, which says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Because sometimes we just want, we get, our culture is so pragmatic. Tell me what works. Tell me how I can get rich. Tell me how, you know, I can have a relationship with God. I don't care why, how, or what. Just tell me what to do that works. And we have to remember why. Do all you do for the glory of God. Remember that behind your behavior is your worship. And why, why do I do all these things? Why would I use my liberties and my freedoms? Or why would I not use my liberties or freedoms to bring glory to God? Amen? And so again, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Regarding this, the ESV study Bible says, the weak thought some days were more important than others. Given the Jewish background here, the day that is supremely in view is certainly the Sabbath. The strong think every day is the same. Both views are permissible. Each person must follow his own conscience. What is remarkable is that the Sabbath is no longer a binding commitment for Paul, but a matter of one's personal conviction. Unlike the other nine commandments in Exodus 21 through 17, the Sabbath commandment seems to have been part of the ceremonial laws of the Mosaic Covenant. Like the dietary laws and the laws about sacrifices, all of which are no longer binding on the new covenant believers. However, it is still wise to take regular times of rest from work and regular times of worship are commanded for Christians. 
Whether one observes a special day or eats all foods or abstains from some foods, the important thing is to honor, is the honor of the Lord and to give thanks to God. R.C. Sproul adds, this is good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I hope you're seeing that I am resting on a lot of older, wiser men, okay? This is a difficult text. R.C. Sproul adds, there are some people who somewhere along the line get the idea that they're not allowed to do certain things. Those ideas do not come from the word of God, but they come from their own culture or their parents or from somebody telling them that they ought to not be engaged in certain activities. I want to add to Sproul, or you know your problem, right? You know your own bent. And they've not been informed of the full scope of what God commands and what God prohibits. Let's state it another way. Each of us has a system in our heads of what is allowable and what is not allowable in the Christian life. We have a moral code by which we live. Now I doubt if any one of us has a moral system built into our heads that corresponds exactly and precisely in every detail to the moral code that God desires for us. We tend to overlook certain specific things that God commands or forbids. And we also bring baggage into our moral codes where God has left us free. So my hope is as I read that, that really resonates with you. Because what Sproul is saying is that you and me, we come to the table with our own presuppositions. What does that mean? That, that we come to an argument, uh, you know, any discussion, any time we come to a discussion or an argument with the way in which we were conditioned, how we were raised, our personal story. And, and what we have to know is our personal story is playing into how we perceive reality. And so I've heard Daniel Montgomery say something to the effect of our biography influences our theology. In layman's terms, our own personal story influences how we see God. Tracking with me? And so don't, so what we have to be careful is don't think that you come to God unbiased. Because if you do, you're deceived. Uh, Don't think that you come to God completely surrendered with no baggage. Don't think that you read the Bible just completely empty and, and letting the full weight of the word just sink in and, and form your soul. Outside of community, outside of accountability, you read what you read and you perceive it in the interest that it'll benefit you how you want to be benefited. You'll read what you want to read and you'll, you'll submit to, to just back up your own worldview that you already have, Right? So we read the scriptures, we approach God, and we perceive all of that through the lens of our own story. And this is why we need community. This is why we need church history. This is why we need God's grace. This is why the practice of our faith should be done in fear and trembling. We should practice our faith with a posture of humility. R.C. Sproul continues, One man thinks it's wrong to eat meat, Another thinks that it's right to eat meat. One person thinks it's right to drink wine. Another person thinks that it's a terrible sin to drink wine. How do we deal with this? This verse is not saying that every person has the right to create. Listen to this. This, person is, or this verse is not saying that every person has the right to create their own ethical system. For example, if one person in the Christian community thinks adultery is a sin and another person thinks that it's not, we should not have any disputes or arguments about it. The New Testament makes very clear those things which God has clearly forbidden. 
what this text is dealing with are those moral issues where God has not prohibited or commanded. You get that? There are very clear commands in Scripture, and there are, there are issues where the Bible gives us no clear command. So let's keep. This, I think this is the last Sproul, but let's keep learning from Sproul. He says, let me use wine as an example. The Bible clearly prohibits drunkenness. There's no question about that. But the use of wine is not absolutely forbidden. Today, there are those who take the position of voluntary total abstinence because we live in a culture that does not know how to handle intoxicating beverages. Some say that, some say that this is a matter of prudence to take a position over drinking wine, and I certainly respect that. But we cannot make that a rule to be imposed on all Christians or as a sign of Christian godliness. So that's kind of summarizing the big idea. But let's move on. Last point for today. And hopefully this brings some added clarity. Uh, Christians belong to God, okay? And so the last part of our verse, starting in 7, it says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Again, our posture in life is a posture of humility. Our posture in life is a posture of servitude. Our posture in life is that of worship to Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, the biggest issues at hand, the biggest question that we should be asking ourselves is, how is my life bringing glory to God? How is my life bringing honor to who God is? Because in the end, it's to him that we give an account. Additionally, if our life's God's, then what that means is that we're not our own. This means that we need to be willing, friends, to lay down our preferences, to lay down our desires, and listen to me, and and at times even lay down our liberties for the glory of God. So stronger brother or sister, you need to be aware of those around you. And if you have some weaker brother or sister in your midst, you need to use wisdom. Don't argue about peripheral issues, issues of conscience. Rather, lay down your liberties and serve your weaker brother or sister in that way. You tracking with me? This is why we have community groups. Our hope is that we can get to know one another on a deeper level so that we can encourage one another in our struggles and so that we can rejoice with one another in our strengths. The only way, and I've said this before, but the only way that this ends well, all of this ends well, is if we lay aside the perverse lie of of us having this autonomous life you know, the rugged American individualism that our culture so flippantly accepts. We're not made for ourselves. We're made for God. And life with God involves living in deep community with God's broken people, his church. So we must commit to God's people while we are actively committed to God himself. And so weak brother or sister, you're new in your, you're new in your faith or maybe you're struggling in your faith 
You've got deep struggles. You're setting up some very intentional discipline, boundaries for your life. You're refraining from the things that might cause you to sin. Praise God for that. Don't judge your your other brothers and sisters. Know your struggles and don't give any room for the flesh in your life. I pray that your faith in Christ grows. Stronger brothers and sisters, you have strong faith. God has redeemed you and is continually maturing you. You embrace God's freedom and liberty and you know that you're saved by faith alone, through grace alone. Praise God for you. Don't argue about petty issues. Serve your fellow Christians by laying down your preferences at times. Model Christ by denying yourself for the hope that more people would come to know Jesus. And ultimately, let's set our sights on Jesus, who's the only one who can perfect our faith. You know, it doesn't matter where we find ourselves in the present day. No matter what difficulty we face, no matter what accomplishment that we face, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our peace. Last quote, Luther says this. I love this. He says, what man is there whose heart, upon hearing these things, will not rejoice to its depth? And when receiving such comfort, will not grow tender so that he will love Christ as he never could by means of any laws or works. So put your faith in Jesus. Confess your sins to Jesus. Commit to a life getting to know the person and the work of Christ. Be a living sacrifice for God's glory and for your joy. Let's pray. God, thank you that you allow us to, that you invite us into your story. Thank you, God, that, you know, as, as we were just praying this morning, Thank you that you responded to us in mercy and not in something else. Because as sinners, as strugglers, you could have responded to your creatures, you could have responded to your creation however you wished, but you chose to respond to us in mercy. Thank you. I pray that as we read difficult texts like this, that we would would approach them with humility and grace. We would approach them with a, a... already already in our minds accepting the fact that we're going to have to work this out in community. That we wouldn't take a text like this and run towards licentiousness and run towards, I can do whatever I want because of grace, because that's cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer said. But that we also wouldn't fear life and, and set up all these rigorous rules like the Jews did that just, that just bog us down and there's no real love for you, there's no real joy in you and we're judging everyone, I pray that we wouldn't be that either. I pray that we'd be honest about our struggles. We'd be honest about um, the parts of our lives that, that our, our flesh just easily gets tangled up and that, Lord, we would confess those, we'd repent of those, we would leave no room for us to fall in those. We'd be held accountable in those. We'd set up barriers to those. And we do that in response to your goodness. Not to just be religious. That we do that in response to, man, you love me first and I want to give my life to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to audio from the Refuge Church in Grove City, Ohio. For more information about the Refuge Church, please visit therefugechurch.org.